Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. My name is Brett Ferguson. My, my wife and I... Thanks, here. My wife and I have been members of Grace Point for over 10 years now. Um, Mike is at a conference, a discipleship conference this week, um, and so he asked me to help kind of fill in. Second thing, um, they're bringing these whiteboards out. I'm going to be kind of doing some stuff on the whiteboards today as a part of our talk. You know, in like, have you ever been in that work environment where you're like maybe doing a, a, a group of people working on something together, and like your computer screen is the one that's on the conference room deal, and you're like trying to make a PowerPoint or trying to do something in Excel, and everyone's laughing at what an idiot you are. Like, hey, you need 13 slicers in there. Like, I don't know how to do a slicer. Like, right click over here, right? You misspelled that word. Like, I hate that. And so I'm going to do that this morning, though, like with all of you. So I need you to promise me that we're just not going to talk about it after words, right? If, if you can't read something I write, if I misspell a word, like don't make a joke, let's just pretend it never happened, okay? We just move on from that point. Third thing, if you have your Bibles, hey, can I see the Bibles? You know, I've been on a one-man rampage, thank you, I see some of you laughing as you raise this up because you know that this is my thing, right? Like I've encouraged you, bring a physical copy of your Bible. Some people in the first service were bold enough to hold up their phones, some of you were too, I get it. Hey, bring this, make notes in this, um, this is an awesome thing to be able to have. It removes distraction from your life. It's something that maybe someday kids or your friends could look through and see what was going on in your life. So I, I appreciate you guys have your Bibles. If you have them, open them to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm gonna, we're going to get there in a moment, okay? We're going to take a second before we get there, but we're going to be at Deuteronomy chapter 6 today, looking at one of the most famous passages in all of the Old Testament and all the Bible. But before we get there, we're going to go on a little bit of journey of a journey together. And that journey is actually going to begin back in the beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 22. And I'm just going to draw a little circle here to represent, or did I say 22? Genesis 1 and 2, where creation happens, right? I'm going to draw a circle here. And we're going to call this God's design. There's a lot going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God is creating everything. Heavens, the earth, the animals, the sea, the air, the sky, the land, the birds, the trees, people. There's more going on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 than just God creating things. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. But what we also see is that God creates people and we kind of see the order of life the, the design to life that God has, and I do want to be clear, like, listen, we do believe that God is the uncaused, first cause of all creation. That this morning we woke up and we breathed fresh air and we saw the sun rising and the moon setting, that all those intricacies of how this whole world operates, like, that's an intelligent design put there by an intelligent designer, like, we believe that, but there's more than that, there's actually a design to how life should be happening in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and so the gospel actually begins there, and we see a few things that are happening, first of all. We see that God creates people, Adam and Eve, and he's actually walking in the garden with them. 
In Genesis chapter 1, God actually gives Adam a job. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but he gives him a job, and it says that God was bringing all the animals to Adam, and it, the translation says, to see what he would call them, which I, it just makes me laugh. Like, as a parent, I imagine, like, taking a six-year-old to a zoo and just being like, hey, what do you want to call this? Like, showing him an aardvark. Like, hey, what do you want to call this thing? Showing him an anti, I mean, an aardvark, probably came, or a six-year-old probably came up with that name, Right? And that's what God's doing, like with Adam and Eve, and they're walking, God's walking in the garden with them. So it's fair to say that a a part, an element of God's design that we see here is that Adam and Eve, they know God. They knew God. They lived in relationship with God. It's not the only thing we see happening there. We see Adam and Eve actually living in perfect relationship with one another. All through Genesis 1, God creates... On one day, he creates, and at the end of the day, he looks at what he made and said, it's good. He creates, looks at the end of what he made, said, it's good. He creates, looks at what he made, said, it's good. Day six, he creates Adam, looks at what he made, and he says, wait, that's not good. This is in Genesis chapter 2. That's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, 18. It's not good. So he creates woman, the perfect companion for man. He creates them, and Genesis chapter 2 ends with Adam and Eve, and this is what it says about them, that Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame. That they lived in, can can you imagine that, like being totally naked? Don't imagine that right now. Um, I'm not imagining that right now by any means, right? But living with such no shame, such perfect relationship with one another to be that exposed in front of them and not even think about it. So we could also say that what's happening in the garden is not only do Adam and Eve know God, but they are also, they love people. They love each other. They're able to exist in relationship with one another, with no shame, with no guilt, with no fear. They love one another. And then there's a third thing that's happening in the garden that we never really talk about very much, but we should because our theology of work is really underdeveloped and messed up. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says that God blessed them, And he gave them a job to do. He actually told them, go do something. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates this garden, this perfect place where like God, people, creation, existing kind of together in harmony. And then he tells Adam and Eve, like, you were never, like, they weren't supposed to stay in the garden. Like, hey, you need to go out from here and make more of the world look like this place. They had a mission from God. And so you could also say that a part of God's design, even at the very beginning, was to live sent. If you've been around Grace Point, you know what that means for us, live sent. All these things are happening originally in God's design. Now, what would we call, what could we call that kind of life? A kind of life where people are living together in relationship with God, in relationship with one another, living sent on a huge mission from God to reflect his glory to the world. I think that might be the kind of life that Jesus had in mind in John 10.10. When he says, hey, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. He comes to take this kind of life away from you, but I have come that they might have abundant life. So we're going to say this today, that God's design equals abundant. Remember, no comments. Equals abundant life. 
Hey, when we talk about abundant life for the next few weeks, let me tell you what we're not talking about. We're not talking about a life where there's everything's up and to the right. There's more money, there's more happiness, there's more comfort, there's more good things. Like, that's not what we're talking about. What we're really talking about is Jesus came to bring us a life that lines up with God's design. That's the abundant life. Here's the problem, though. And here's a question I want you to take home with you. I want you to have this conversation with one person this week. I want you to ask that person and have them ask you this question. Are you living an abundant life? If this is what an abundant life is, then are you experiencing an abundant life? The answer for most of us is probably no. So I'm going to draw another circle here. Circle that represents the reality of every single person apart from God. That is a huge circle, way too big, but it's too late now. I'm going to call this circle broken. Broken. This word describes most of our day-to-day reality a lot more than this word. Would you agree with that? Matter of fact, I probably don't have to work very hard to try to convince you of that. I, I doubt very many of us wake up in the morning and like turn on the news and think, you know, things are going great around here. I like, really like the trajectory of the world right now. It's really comfortable with this. No, that's not what it is, right? It's, it's actually the opposite of that, that we see brokenness all around us. We live in a world where everything is broken, and that's why we have things like wars and dictators and racism and political strife, and that's why we have the breakdown of the family And that's why we have a culture where people just follow whatever the latest thinking is, no matter how messed up or odd that might actually be. Like, we live in a broken world. But hear me out. I want to say this real clear. Brokenness is not primarily a cultural or societal problem. Brokenness is primarily a personal problem, first and foremost. And the reason we live in a broken culture, in a broken world, is because I'm broken, and you're broken. And the refle- society is just a reflection of all of our individual brokenness. And so the question is, wait, how did we get, if this is the life God designed for us, an abundant life where we can know God, love one another, and live sin, and that's not happening in our world today, and that's not happening in our life today, how do we go from here to here And so the pathway from God's design to brokenness actually also begins in Genesis. The Bible calls this pathway sin. It's a pathway that Adam and Eve chose to take, go into, and we see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. You might want to circle or underline that phrase if you're following along in your Bibles. Which you can only do if you have a physical Bible and not with one of those iPhone things, but that's another story. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. She gave it also to her husband, and he ate, and the, their eyes were open. And these two people who were at the end of Genesis chapter 2, naked together with one another with no shame, now their eyes are open. They experience shame. They recognize that they're naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings, and they actually hid from God in the garden. That phrase, delight to the eyes, look, that defines 
our culture today and the brokenness of our culture today, and that is that everyone is just doing what seems right in their own eyes. And if you want an interesting Bible study experiment, kind of do a search for right in their own eyes and see what happens when people begin to do what's right in their eyes. It always leads to brokenness, always leads to destruction. But again, it's not a cultural problem. It's a personal problem for us. In the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul says it this way, that therefore sin entered the world through one man. Hey, Adam and Eve made this choice. This was sin not in this world. They made this choice and enters in. But now it has extended to all of us death through sin. So death was passed on to all men because now we've all, we are the byproduct of our mother and father, Adam and Eve. We live in this world of brokenness. I probably don't have to talk you into that much. I mean, look, it's pretty easy to look at culture and say that, hey, culture's broken. It's a little bit harder to look individually and say, I'm broken. But I think we actually know it. There is a $10 billion self-help industry in this country annually that's built around helping people who know that they're broken try to find a pathway out. Because this is what we do. We recognize that we're broken, and so we try to create pathways out of this broken state because we know that the way that we live inside this circle is not sustainable. There's thousands of pathways we try to create out. I think they fall into two buckets. The first pathway that a lot of us choose in our life, let's call it vice. We'll call it vice. You know what the vices are that we choose when we're trying to numb the brokenness, right? Abuse of drugs, abuse of pornography, abuse of alcohol, right? These are things that are socially and and relationally clearly destructive to the people around us and to ourselves, but just for a moment, we might engage in those things to try to pull ourselves out of this brokenness and the emptiness we feel inside. There's another pathway out, pathway that's kind of a pandemic among good church-going people in the South, and that is, we'll call it virtues. Hey, there's another pathway out. It's not the vice, it's virtue, where we say, hey, I'm going to pursue success I'm going to pursue material gain. I might even pursue religion or philanthropy or philanthropy, philanthropy, (laughs) philanthropy, self-improvement, right? This whole group of things and behaviors that aren't inherently wrong, but they're never sufficient to get us out of the brokenness circle. And I would say it this way, as a matter of fact, Every pathway we try to create out of brokenness, every pathway we try to create out of brokenness only multiplies, masks, or medicates where we are. All right? Vices clearly multiply our brokenness. Religion, it can only mask it for so long before that brokenness shows up. So... We're not living in God's design. We're born into brokenness, and we can't create our own pathway out of brokenness. We have an access problem. We have an access problem. We cannot get from here to here on our own. And that's where we're going to find the words of Jesus today, because he's going to give us a solution. I told you that I was going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm almost there, but I'm not there yet, because we're going to start in the book of Matthew. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. You just stick in Deuteronomy. Let me tell you what's happening in Matthew, chapter 22. 
Matthew chapter 22, we find Jesus in a debate with religious people who knew a whole lot about the Bible, but they didn't know much about God and his character. Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important law? We have this whole book of laws. We all know all these laws. Everybody here has memorized all these laws. What's the most important thing? Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him. I'm always astounded that Jesus answered him. I mean, if one of my kids came to me and was like, hey, Dad, what's like the most important rule in our house? Right? Like, what are you saying as a parent? Like, they're all important. Like, you walk the, walk the line, right? You don't bring any of them. No, Jesus actually gives an answer. So there is one thing that's more important. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. If you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you've looked at what, or you listened to when Gary read this morning, Jesus is quoting the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting this passage, which is called the Shema. This is like the John 3.16 of Judaism. Everyone that Jesus was talking to wasn't just familiar with this verse, not like, eh, I might have heard that before. No, they quoted this verse, and many faithful Jews today still do this. They quoted this verse every morning and every night. You'll see why if you're reading it. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. Let's see where is Jesus head at when he's asked what's the most important commandment. I'm going to read now from Deuteronomy chapter 6, first, uh, verse 4. The first word is the word hear. That word in Hebrew is the word shema. It doesn't just mean hear, like let sound go into your ears. It doesn't mean listen. It's a, it's a word that kind of combines two ideas, which would be like, listen and obey. Hear and do what I'm about to tell you. So, Shema, hear and do this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is very important. These people had just come out of Egypt. Egypt had thousands of gods, hundreds of gods, gods everywhere, different forms of worship, cultic practices all over the place. Saying, no, there is one God. We're going to make it clear. There's one God. Verse 5, now this is what Jesus quotes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. He goes on to say, well, let's just stop right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Here's what I want us to know. Access to God's design happens through knowing God in a love relationship. Even in the Old Testament, even from Moses, right? What he's telling these people isn't, hey, you're going to get out of your broken state by following all the rules. He tells them multiple times, hey, you better follow the rules. But it always comes from a place of this. You have to have a love relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For us, we live in a world, I'm going to draw a symbol here, where Jesus Christ came. He was a real person, actually lived on the real planet Earth. He lived a perfectly sinless life. Not one time did he ever experience personally what it's like to be inside that brokenness circle. However, even though he lived a sinless life, he took on himself all the brokenness that's in this room of everything that you've ever thought done or even had a temptation to do to live inside this brokenness circle. All of my brokenness, every, every broken thought, every broken action of every single person in the whole world placed on him 
on the cross as an innocent person and died and a death on the cross so that we could have access to God's design. Access to an abundant life always happens through knowing God, and knowing God always means having a love relationship with him. So, access, love, relationship. Now, look at, look at how Moses describes this love relationship. I love this. You shall love the, God, the, love the Lord your God, verse 5, with all your, what's the next word? Heart. With all your, and with all your strength. Okay. I love these, ver- these words because they actually mean almost nothing like what you and I think they mean, okay? So, deep dive into some Hebrew this week. Um, the word heart, okay? This is the Hebrew word levav. Look, different cultures throughout history have had different concepts of, like, how the human body works. Um, biblical authors knew that the heart was like an organ in the chest, right? They knew that there was, like, something physical happening there. What they didn't really know very much about was the brain. And as a matter of fact, there's not like a Hebrew word for, the, for brain. Like they, just, they didn't understand the brain. Hey, when we think about matters of the heart, what are we thinking about usually? Feelings, emotions, right? Rom-coms, Reese Witherspoon, like whatever, right? Like emotional things. But th- because they didn't really have a concept for the brain, the ancient Hebrew concept of heart is actually much bigger than just emotions. It referred to, in the Bible, you, you can understand in the heart. Wisdom can reside in the heart. Um, you can know something in the heart. You can feel pain or hurt in the heart. You can experience fear in your heart. You can experience happiness in your heart. The ancient Hebrew concept of, of heart is the center of all that we are. What he's really telling them is, hey, love your God with all of your intellect and thoughts. Love God with your emotions and feelings. Love him with your choices and affections and desires. It's all-encompassing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's not just emotions, although that's part of it. It's everything about our being that's who we are. Second word, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul. The Hebrew word for soul is the word nephesh. It actually occurs like 700 times in the Old Testament. Um, now, here's the deal. You and I, we are byproducts of Greek philosophy, Western thought, postmodernism, modernism, and all this stuff. So if we think about a soul, we tend to think about the soul as like the ghost part of you. Like, you know, this thing that's like inside of you that's not really attached to your body. We think of it a little bit differently than the Hebrew people think of it. In the Old Testament, they actually referred to animals as living nephesh's. When an animal dies, they call it a a dead nephesh, right? So even though the word translated as soul, it actually has a big connection to our physical bodies in the Hebrew. So Moses is saying, love the Lord your God with your entire being, with your life, with your physical tools, with all of your capacities and gifts, with everything you are. Love him with that, everything you have devoted to him. And then you're not going to believe this, but the word strength in the Hebrew, doesn't mean strength at all, right? I mean, do you see a pattern here? The word strength um, is actually the word me'od. And it, it's actually an adverb, um, 
Those are words that normally end in L-Y, right, that modify something. Um, I have a fourth grader, so I'm up to speed on some basic grammar right now. It actually just means very much. It means love God with all of your very muchness. In, in Genesis, he says, creation, day one, he, every, God makes everything, says, it's good, tov. Day two, God makes everything, says, it's good, tov. Day three, God makes everything, says, it's good, tov, on and on, until he gets to day six, creates Adam and Eve. He doesn't say, it's good, he says, it's very good, it's actually me'od tov, it's very good, very muchness. So I think the heart of this love relationship that God is looking for us to have with him is this. Love God with all of your heart, all your intellects, all your thoughts, all your emotions, all your desires. Love him with all your soul. Love him with your life. Love him with your physical being. Love him with your muchness, with your total capacity, devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity you have as a person devoted to loving him. It's always been about a love relationship. Access to God's abundant life comes through a love relationship. Here's the deal. Access actually isn't enough for us to experience God's design every day for most of us. This weird thing happens that even once we have a love relationship with God, the direction that Jesus is taking us is back to his design. We could call this discipleship. But have you ever noticed, and maybe I'm the only one that's like this, that even though I have a love relationship with God, and I know that he wants me to move closer and closer to his design, have you ever noticed sometimes the trajectory of your life is to do this? That there's this bent this pool, this kind of backward stepping back into the old patterns, my old ways of thinking, my old actions. Like, I have a hard time staying on course back to God's design. This isn't just true of us. It's been true of everyone from the very beginning. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, as Moses goes on giving his farewell speech to the children of Israel, he actually tells them, hey, you know what? You need to be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, by failing to keep his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes that I'm giving you today. Then look at what he says will happen. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and you build good houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks increase and your silver and your gold increase, when everything you have increases, then your heart, remember, this is like your intellect, your will, big idea of heart, will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hear what he's saying? You're going to get right here, and everything's going to be going great, and then you're just going to walk right back into this. We find this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Again, what's heart? Affections? No. Intellect, desires, will, everything that I am has to be protected. Everything you do, because out of that, everything flows from it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way, Be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, we believe we have a real adversary. And he's roaming around, prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Listen, the natural bent of our life, even inside of a love relationship with Christ, is to pull back into this brokenness. And so after we have access to God's design, we need something else. We need to amplify 
We've got to amplify this life and what God wants from us here and not this life. And here's what's happening. In your life, from the minute you leave this room today, until you come back here next week, and maybe even while you're here, everything in the world around you is pulling you back to think that this is it. And so we got to swim upstream. We have to amplify God's design in our life. And that happens through God's word. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's see what, what Moses says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6, these words that I'm commanding you today, God's word shall be on your heart. You should talk about them. You should teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Those will be a frontals on your forehead. You should write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Hey, listen. The old hymn we sang when I was a little kid, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. That's who we are. But when we integrate God's word of, of all the disciplines that we can place into our life, there's something unique and special about God's word and its ability to bring us back into God's design. I want to talk about three spheres. I'm going to leave, we're going to kind of wind down here with three spheres of life where we need to amplify God's design. Um, let's start with this one, home. Home. Look at what Moses says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, these words that I'm commanding you, they shall be on your heart. What should you do? You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house. When we moved to Arkansas, um, like 15 years ago now, we had moved from Colorado, and um, Colorado's not inside the Bible Belt, very different place, and I started my first job, and I met this guy there, and I will never forget this conversation I had with this guy. He said, hey, um, so now we start talking about church. He was like, yeah, we go to such and such church. And he said to me, almost an exact quote, you know, we just want to have our kids exposed to that. Hey, parents, I want to say this very clearly. Your kids do not need to be exposed to religion. Like, that is not it. That's not it. That's not what it's about. There's a deeper calling here for us and I just want to encourage you, do not outsource the spiritual development of your kids to the church. Whether that's this church or any other church, the calling is for you to own this inside your home. We going yet? Hey, I'm so proud of what our church does with our kids. I mean, there's little kids. I'm pointing over here because, like, all the kids are down on that end, far away from us, right? Sometimes we can't hear them. Hey, right now, someone is pouring into, if you have a kid in here and they're over there, someone's pouring into those kids. They're opening up the Bible. They're reading God's Word. They're memorizing the books of the Bible. Like, I love that. Awesome stuff. If you, hey, go to your kids. Whoever's in your kid's room today, will you just make sure you tell them thank you for pouring into your kids? But I just want you to know, like, if that's your plan for your kid's discipleship is to just let, you know, Devin and Emily and McKenzie at Grace Point take care of that, you're missing out on what God's telling us to do. 
Talk about it in your house. Let me give you a couple pointers that have helped Rachel and I bring this to life in our home, okay? We are not experts at this, fair to say. A couple things. First of all, parents, do not surrender the dinner table to the busyness of life. Hey, can I get an amen to that? Do not surrender the dinner table at your house. My wife has made a point for our kids and our family at least four nights a week, right? I mean, look, we're up here at church on Wednesday night for youth group. Like, we have busy lives, but at least four nights a week, we are sitting down at the dinner table. There's not a TV on. There's not a book open. There's not a phone available, and we're talking to one another. Hey, sometimes those conversations are silly. Sometimes we're mad at each other, and it's really uncomfortable, okay? Like, you've got to fight through those. That's really bad. Rachel and I have a huge fight at, like, 4 o'clock. All right, time for family dinner. Um, Right? Sometimes it's, it's not perfect. But we're creating in that time a space where our kids know we're going to engage with you. We're going to ask about your day. We're going to tell you about our day. And then you know what happens when you do that over and over and over 52 weeks a year? That at some point you have moments in your kids' lives where you're able to speak God's word, to teach God's word diligently to your kids. And you've got to put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to create time for this to happen in our house. And I encourage you to make that the dinner time. Let me give you a couple of resources that can help you with this, okay? First one. Um, this is one we use at our house right now. This is called the New City Catechism. This is a book, 52, one per week, um, catechism. So catechism is like a question and an answer with Scripture. This is $5, okay? This costs 5 bucks, um, And... It's great for kids that are like, I would say, teen to high school age kids. If you find a Ferguson kid around here today and you ask them, hey, what is God? They're going to answer and they're going to say, God is the creator of everyone and everything. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of a question-response scripture thing. Super simple. Um, I reached out to my sister-in-law. She's got younger kids, Lindsay. Um, she loves God's big story. Hey, uh, Thursday morning, Wednesday morning, I was dropping a kid off. I was dropping one of our kids off at school, like 7.15, and the car in front of me, like, is the minivan with the screen down and, like, the cartoons going. And I'm just like, it's 7.15. Can we go without, can we get to school without the screens? I sound so old right now, but it's like, it's just a reality, right? Hey, use your drive time intentionally. God's big story is a narrative-style story of different stories from the Bible that connects the gospel to different stories in Scripture. Great for younger kids. Use your car time, your drive time intentionally, okay? Um, Hey, if you're going to teach God's Word diligently into your life with your kids, it's going to take intentionality from you. One other piece of advice, let me give you this. Hey, make life milestones, spiritual milestones in your kid's life. The first day of school, big birthday, win a big game, get cut from the team. Whatever it might be, good or bad, take those big moments and make sure that you're building spiritual discussion and spiritual realities into your kid's life. All right, that's one sphere. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them in your homes. Second sphere, relationships. Someone told me after first service, even though I explicitly said no comments on my handwriting, they're like, you could have been writing all that in Hebrew. I wouldn't have known. Like, I literally said, don't do that to me. Um, relationships. Hey, one thing that will, oh, back to Deuteronomy 6. 
The words I command you be in your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons. Talk about them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way or when you walk along the road. One thing that will undermine our ability to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength with all that we are, is if we build partitions around spiritual time in our life and we make that a Sunday morning thing. What we actually need, all of us need in our life, are walk along the road and talk about God's word kind of friendships in our lives. Relationships where spiritual discussions focused on God's word and his will becomes like normative in our life. Husbands and wives, you need to make sure that you are building in spiritual discussion as a normal thing inside your relationship with one another. Guys, you need friends that when you're, you know, on the boat, in the duck blind, riding the bikes, whatever it is you do, that along the way, in those moments, you're having spiritual discussion. Ladies, you need friendships where when you're going to the gym or having coffee or whatever it is you guys do, that a part of that becomes a spiritual discussion about God's Word. Hey, can I tell you about a reality of this? I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in church my whole life. I'm not uncomfortable talking about God's word. You know what's still really hard for me? Is when I'm sitting there fishing with a buddy and I have to take this big step where I go from like asking about life or talking about how the fish are biting and I cross the threshold to spiritual discussion. That's not easy to do no matter who you are. It's not. Let me give you a couple resources that can help with that. One thing that's helped Rachel and I tremendously together is we started listening to the same podcast. So um, there's two podcasts that we love at our house that I'd, I'd recommend to you. First one on the left, Knowing Faith Podcast. Um, I actually have an episode that you can, you can start with. Knowing Faith Podcast, start with episode 195. Um, they're going through a series of the book of Exodus. The Bible Project Podcast, um, that's start with episode 225. Really cool deal about Abraham and the family of God on the Bible Project. Here's the deal, though. Don't just listen to this and then put it away. The goal here is find a friend, find a spouse, find a buddy, Whatever, say, hey, will you listen to me to this with me? And then let's talk about it together. Second thing, we've already talked about groups today. You need to be in a group. A group is a great way for you to begin to build spiritual relationships with the people around you. Shameless plug here. Rachel and I are starting a group next Wednesday night, the 27th. Um, it's called Eight Questions that every teen and parent should ask and answer. This group is eight weeks for parents of teenagers. Hey, if you want to know how to have biblically-based discussions with your kids about topics like can there be absolute truth or gender identity or any of these things that your kids are asking questions about, like come join us. It's going to be a group of teenage parents, build relationships, think about how we can think biblically about the world, answer questions our kids have. That begins not this Wednesday night, next Wednesday night here at the church, 645 to, um, to 830. All right, last sphere. Personal time. Personal time. All right, just a reminder, right? We need access to God's design. That happens through a love relationship with Jesus. Our natural bent, though, even when we have a love relationship with Jesus, is to roll back into our broken life. We're going to amplify God's design in our life. How? Because we're going to let God's word saturate our home, our relationships, and our personal time. Moses goes on to say, talk about these words when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. Those quiet moments early in the day and late at nights 
are moments when we can saturate our life with God's word. Let me give you a simple challenge on this one. Something I'm trying to do. Called word before phone. Word before phone. Every morning, one of my goals in the morning is this. That before I open my phone and I start looking at notifications or scrolling endlessly on social media or whatever it might be, even reading the news, even the weather, like guess what? You can survive or you can just go outside and look. Like you don't have to open the phone to know what the weather's like today, right? I'm going to set that thing aside until I get God's word in my mind and in my heart for the day. So word before phone. A couple of tools, resources you can use in your personal life. Um, number one is the Bible Recap podcast. Bible recap. Anybody familiar with Bible Recap? I know we have some people in first service. Yeah, I see a lot of hands up. Okay, this is awesome. If you've never read the Bible before and it's super intimidating to you, Bible Recap, it gives you a daily reading plan. So you're going to open up the Bible, you're going to read, and then for seven to ten minutes, there's a podcast that's like, hey, we just read Leviticus. I have no idea what that's about. And someone's going to kind of explain it in broad strokes in a very simple way to you. Great way to build the word into your life and your personal time every day. Second one on the right, this is a more liturgical thing. This is like a, this is called Be Thou My Vision. It's a devotional book. Um, You open it up. It's a little bit different than most devotionals. Instead of just like a a nice thought for the day, it's a personal worship experience where you will begin by worshiping God. You'll read scripture. You'll confess sin. It walks you through kind of like a personal church service at your own, um, in, in your own quiet time. Be Thou My Vision. Love that. Hey, can I just say something though? Look, guys. There's never been more resources in the history of the world to get God's word saturated in our lives. At the end of the day, we really don't have a resource problem, do we? We have an intentionality problem. At the end of the day, when I look at my day, and I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't get God's word into my heart today. It's never because I didn't have the resources to do it. It's always because I just didn't have the intentionality in my life. I'll end with this. Um, Moses goes on to say this about God's word. You shall bind his word as a sign on your hand and as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Um, Check out this picture. This is a uh, Israeli soldier. Can you see that thing on his head? Little box on his head. He's got these straps on his arms. Those are what Moses is talking about here. He actually, the, the, the Jewish people actually took Moses' words and they took them literally and so they put God's word in a box and they tie it on their head when they pray and they put it on their arms and morning and night they might put these on. That thing on the right um, is cool. That's on a doorpost of a house and inside that um, wood thing there is a scroll of paper written by a calligraphist that is this verse that you will commonly still today find in Jewish households. Hey, you know, I don't know that literally is the idea that we have in mind here, but we understand this today. Check this out. I stole this from my daughter's room. This is her um, Taylor Swift heiress tour totem, I guess. I don't know what this is. A shrine? Inside this thing are friendship bracelets. Did anybody see this this summer? Somehow Taylor Swift got all these girls to make friendship bracelets. Um, and like as a parent, sometimes you're like, what is happening? Like what, what is going on here? Hobby Lobby had like a 900% increase in their jewelry making. It's true. Like, this is a real deal. It created out of stocks like Taylor Swift holding up the whole economy with this, right? But hey, here's the thing. So these are a bunch of friendship bracelets. They have like 
they have lyrics to Taylor Swift songs on them. And when my daughters, like, you know, if they're going to school and they see some other girl with like a stack of T-Swift bracelets and probably carrying a Stanley mug, they're like, I know what that person's all about. Um, another example, this is kind of like the right hand, the doorpost example. Anybody see this in your neighborhood on Saturdays? Right? Guy's probably taking that down, putting up a CU Buffs banner for next week. Right? Go Buffs. Um, but, like, you know, you drive by that house on Saturday, you know what's going on in there. A guy's eating chili dogs and watching football. Like, you know what they stand for, right? You know what they stand for. Hey, the point of all this is here. How do we get back to God's design in our life? We get back there through a personal love relationship with Jesus. And then we amplify that relationship when we take God's word and we integrate it into our house. We integrate it into our relationships. We integrate it into our personal time. And then it becomes like external things on our body and our homes that when people see us, they say, I know what they're about. And that's who we want to be. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you don't leave us in our brokenness. You provide a way out for us through Jesus Christ. And God, we, we want to cling to him. We want that relationship to impact our homes and our relationships, God. We want that relationship to, to, we want to enter back into your design for our life so that we can know you and love people and live sent. And so I pray for all of us that we would be people of your word, God, that we would honor you in all the spheres of our life so that we can know you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.